This is the Pete Callender Show on News Radio 570 WWNC. All righty, welcome to the program. 73 degrees in West Asheville outside of the Apple Tree Automotive Superstore Studio. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for making us part of your day. The call in numbers 240 9962. 1-800-570-WWNC. You can also email Pete at WWNC.com. That would be me. I get the emails. I don't even have a call screener on that or an email screener. It comes right to me. Sometimes when I stop talking right in the middle of a sentence, it's because I see the email come in. That's what happens sometimes. I have to, I got to make a point not to read the email. Well, see, cause I'm, it, it's a tough spot to be in because on the one hand, I need to read the email because sometimes people just fire off an email or send a text to my email and I get it and it's about the thing I'm talking about at that moment and if I wait until the next commercial break to go and open up my emails and look at the emails I start reading and sometimes I don't know what they're talking about yeah a lot of times there's no context right. to the comment right they're just firing off a response and I don't know what they're responding to any longer because I mean, do you think I pay attention to anything I say? Come on. Like, I don't remember any of this stuff. So the, <laughs> so the emails come in, and so I feel like I need to read them. But on the other hand, sometimes I'll stop. Hang on a second. Is this one? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's what, that's what will happen. So Pete at WWNC.com. You can also uh, send me tweets. At Pete Callender, all one word, P-E-T-E-K-A-L-I-N-E-R. At 5 o'clock today, we are going to have Congressman Patrick McHenry on the program. Uh, we will get his estimation of the total rat population of the city of Baltimore. I believe that's what everyone is talking about now, right? Still, we still talking about the number of rats in Baltimore? As well as the number of rodents, not just local government. That's Sorry. Okay. Um <laughs> Here is a stat for you. What? Which of these two counties? See, I shouldn't ask it like this because you're going to know automatically. And now I've already given away the result. So I went to the FBI uniform crime report. Went to the FBI website. You know, you can pull the UCR, look up all of the stats. So... And the way they do it, by the way, and they will always tell you, these should not be used for ranking purposes. And they usually make this announcement as we are ranking cities and counties based on their data that they say we shouldn't use for ranking because that's just a political thing. Okay, that's that's a PR deal. They put out the stats. They collect the, the FBI collects the data. They put it all into this uh like a spreadsheet kind of format, so you can compare. And then cities got mad because they would end up on these lists. What was the one that always used to do the safe cities list, I think? I haven't seen that in a while. I think they got bought. They were so, they did, they specialized in like two reports, safest cities and most dangerous cities. And like that was it, I think. That was the only thing this company did. They got bought by Congressional Quarterly, I want to say years ago. I don't even know if they still do it anymore. The the Safe Cities report that used to be published used to then prompt backlash from city officials. 
Yes, except those in Baltimore. Like that. But it would prompt backlash from city officials who are mad that their cities rank so high on the dangerous cities list. I remember because Charlotte got named to this list one year, and it happened to be at a time when we had a lot of homicides. And I remember as a reporter covering the news conference, they had the you know the mayor was there, I think, and the I, I definitely remember the police chief and the city manager, and they're trying to argue that we shouldn't believe, not that we shouldn't believe. They're trying to argue. I want to be precise here because it's. They're attempting a nuanced argument, and I never bought it, okay, which is why I, kind of, it's, I dismissed it, because it's just ridiculous. They're saying, you don't know all the factors. Well, of course you don't know all the factors. There's no way to know every factor in every city and every town and every county in America when you're doing the crime reports. But in general, the truth is general, right? In general, these stats are a good comparison. So if you want to know what's a safer city, Asheville or Rocky Mount, you can find the data. You can do a comparison. I shouldn't have said Rocky Mount because I don't even know if they're on this list. They're not. How about this? What's a safer city, Asheville or Cary? Do you want to take a guess? What's a safer city, Asheville or Cary? You can do, you want to I'm guess? going Carrie. It is. Carrie is safer. How do they know this? How do they know? Oh, here's another. Asheville or Durham? I'm going Asheville. Asheville safer? Yeah. It is indeed. Asheville or Fayetteville? Asheville. Asheville is safer. Asheville or Greenville? No, Greenville, North Carolina? Greenville, North Carolina, yes. Mm-hmm. These are all North Carolina. It's Greenville, barely. Oh, okay. Um, High Point, more dangerous. Jacksonville, less dangerous. Charlotte, more dangerous. See, so here's the here's how they do it. Wilmington, more dangerous. Uh, Winston Salem, more dangerous. Here's how you do the numbers. It's per one hundred thousand people. That's how the FBI does their data. They collect it all and then they say. For every 100,000 people, here's how many crimes occur. Now, there are breakdowns here because when you have a crime, because what I was just running through with Tank, those are just the total index, okay? That's, that's violent crime and property crime. And when you put them together, it gives you the overall total index. And Asheville's overall total index, 4,848. 48, 48. Okay? That's... The number of crimes per 100,000 people, 4848. Now, obviously, we don't have 100,000 people, so you got to puff up the number. They got to do some math on that and bring it up to 100,000. So, were there actually 4,848 crimes? No, there were not. No, there were not. There were a little bit less. Not much, probably 4,200, 4,300 or something, but not, that wasn't that less. So, about 4,000. But that's the way you normalize, you equalize across, so you can compare. So this is what always killed me about the FBI. They're like, oh, you shouldn't compare these numbers. Well, then don't give it to us in a, comp- in a comparable format. 
right? Then don't tell us that this is the crime rate per 100,000 and then do all the math for me so I can look at, oh, that city's per 100,000 and this city's per 100,000. That one's higher than this one. Therefore, that one, you run a greater risk of being a victim than the other one. Well, we don't know that really because there are different things like, and, and to their, in their defense, like you could have, for example, um, a spree shooting. Somebody goes into a store, murders 20 people, and if it's a small town, that's going to inflate those numbers way higher than 20 homicides over the course of an entire year in a bigger city. Make sense? Okay. So Asheville's violent crime last year, this is according to the FBI data that they collect from the police departments, which... Various departments, I always have to do this disclaimer, that different departments give different data and some don't participate in all of the data and some blah, 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 blah. But this is as close as a comparison as we can get. And why is it important to have a comparison on crime stats like this? Well, how do you know if things are trending in the right direction? How do you know if what you're doing at the local level is working is it working better or worse than what some other city of a comparable size and comparable crime rate, uh, what their approach is? And maybe they're getting better results or something, and you can go ask them, or maybe they're not, and they ask you. Okay, so. Actually, let me do this first before I go into the individual data. Would you say, what would you say the trend is, if y'all were to go back uh, 10 years, do you think crime is up or down in Asheville? Do you think there's do you think there's more crime now per 100,000 people or less crime now per 100,000 people? More. You say more? Yeah. Okay. So uh and so do you want to break that down violent and property? You want to say more violent, more property, I'll less more, violent? More violent. No, I'll just go more. More both more in both, both categories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's the violent crime rate in 2008, 477 per 100,000. 477 violent crimes per 100,000 people. Ten years ago, 477. Now, 383. Wow. Almost a 100 crime per year decline in a decade. And it, that's, it's been pretty consistent, although it has gone up in the last two years. It went down from 08 to 09 it went down 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 stayed the same down down and then up 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 so the last three years it's been on an uptick but it is still lower than it was a decade ago Hmm. violent crime property crime you said that's higher also you said Mm -hmm. in 2008 this is Sorry, this is statewide, not just Asheville. I apologize. Did oh, I say okay. Asheville only? I think you did. I'm sorry. Okay. This is statewide. I apologize. These are the statewide data. Okay. The statewide data. Um, and I do have the I, I do have a two year trend for Asheville, but the statewide data. Forty one hundred property crimes in two thousand eight. Four thousand one hundred three. Actually, forty one oh three. Per one hundred thousand. Per one hundred thousand people. So if you have a city the size of Asheville, you should expect about 4,100 property crimes. 
That was the state average. What it is now, 26.77. So like a 1,400 crime decrease per year. Wow. That's like a 25% reduction in property crime in North Carolina, while our population has grown Mm -hmm. by more than like a million people Mm -hmm. in a decade. The reason why I thought this was important to highlight is because it flies in the face of what a lot of people assume about crime rates in America and and in North Carolina and in um, Asheville itself. Now, Asheville can have different trends, obviously, but yesterday we had a call from a fellow named Roy who was arguing that uh, the crime was going up because all he sees he, he sees this all on the TV and the news media. And look, the media, they go out and they find stories like one of the beats is cop shop. Right? That's what we called it, cop shop, where you basically pull all of the police reports and you go and you look through to find stuff that's a violent crime and you report on it. You find stuff that's newsworthy. And contrary to, I think, what uh, a lot of people would like to believe, predominantly on the left, that the media goes out and attempts to you know, find suspects who are minority, that's not the case. They're looking for the story, the write-up in the report that says what happened. That's what they're looking at. And then they find out, okay, here are the mug shots, here's the arrest record or whatever, but here's the report of what happened. Is that newsworthy? I'm going to do a story on that. Place got robbed, and it's a pretty, like, some, you know, some gas station that everybody, it's really popular, and everybody goes there. Everybody knows about it. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to spread any, you know, fake stories here, but if a gas station gets robbed, everybody knows about it, and so you're going to do the story. It's not the reporter's fault that the person who got arrested is the race or ethnicity that they are, okay? But the media covers crime stories every single newscast. Every single newscast. Why? Yes, there's some element of newsworthiness to it, but also, it's easy. It's a pretty easy story to go cover. Seriously. And when you you got to make slot. That's what they say in the biz. you got to make slot. you got to go, da- uh, go down to the crime scene. you got to get some video. And that means and people think, ne- next, uh, here you go. Next time you're watching the news, whether it's national or local, watch a package story. Okay, not like where you have the anchor sitting there and they're reading some uh, sentences and they put the little square picture up over their shoulder and they show you like some crime scene tape or uh, they're talking and then they cut away to a video and there's just a couple of uh, quick uh, you know shots of like the street sign uh, the police tape uh, you know the the flashing lights and stuff okay but a package a full-on produced package usually runs about a minute and a half and you're going to have all this video in that minute and a half and just try and pay attention to how long the actual video pieces are the shots of the street signs, the shots of the police cruisers, the cops, you know, walking around the crime scene or something. 
you know, neighbors looking uh, at their phones or trying to look over the crime scene tape, you know, the flashing lights reflecting off the side of a building. All of those types of shots, pay attention to how long they last and how many of them there are in that 90-second package. I think you'll be surprised. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of clips, and they don't last but three seconds. Do the math on that, right? You need so, and you need all of these different shots in a 90-second package, which means what? You got to shoot all that video. That takes time. See, so it's a, as far it's easy to go and shoot video. It's easier, I shouldn't say easy, but it is easier to go and shoot video at a crime scene because you can get all the shots I just I just outlined, you know? Those are like the standbys. You get <laughs> just those are standards. Much harder from a visual perspective to get video that's entertaining, that captivates if you're going to cover a news conference. News conference video is the worst, okay? A news conference video is the worst because all it is is a person standing in a podium. And you can only get so many angles on that, you know? And then you'll get, like, maybe, like, you get a close-up of, like, the person, like, the reporter's handwriting in a notebook. Or you'll get, the, you'll get the video of, like, the camera guys all in a row shooting the video of the press conference, right? <laughs> or you're hoping that there's some kind of visual aid that the speaker is using right. so you can, you know, zoom in on the easel and the picture that's available. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's a harder story to cover, even though nobody ever got fired for covering a news conference, but it's a harder story to cover from a video perspective because you go and you do the news conference. If you don't have the video already, to put into that package, you got to go get it. You got to go get it. And if you don't even have a news conference with somebody to talk to, now you got to book an interview, right? You got to go find some video to tell the story. It's this is the axiom, you know, the best part about TV is you get to use pictures. And the worst part about TV is you have to use pictures. You got to go get them. It takes time. So, um that's why crime stories are easy stories to do for particularly a local news operation and that's not i'm not saying that as a knock I, i'm not saying that as a as an attack is because you've got to fill the half hour newscast you got to fill it with something so the idea that the media goes after particular communities in order to paint them in a certain way is it's inaccurate it's just inaccurate it's one of the biggest myths about media that uh, it's it when I hear it I always push back on that because it's not true um, now that being said and here's the other thing too people when they see video and they see news stories about you know suspects arrested and they show pictures if you are white and you see white suspects uh, or arrested, you know, people who are arrested, defendants, I guess, if they're arrested, um, and you see people who are white, you don't notice it as much as you would notice if they're not white. And that goes for every single race. You tend to notice those that are not like you. And so when Roy calls in yesterday, he's like, oh, I see this on the TV all the time, and I see the, the pictures, the mug shots and stuff. 
your brain is wired for that to stand out more so than when you see somebody of your own group. And, and that's not fair or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, this is one of the reasons why people have these ideas about crime. People think crime has gone up. Crime has actually gone down. And this has been a decades-long trend. This has been going on for 30 years, by the way. For real. The trend of crime in America is down. It's been going down for decades. Property crime in North Carolina, down. Violent crime in North Carolina, down. The total crime, down. Murder, down. Rapes, down. Robberies, down. Aggravated assaults, down. Burglaries, down. Larcenies, motor vehicle theft, and arson, all down. And this is during a 10-year period when the population of North Carolina went from 8.8 million to 9.8 million. So more people, less crime. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. All right, I know I've been throwing a lot of numbers around at you. Here's one. Five. As in five-star delivery service. That's from Mattress Man. Here's another number, 120. 120-day comfort guarantee. Also at Mattress Man. It's true. Here's another number, four. They got four stores. Four stores in Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville. They sell only Certipure U.S. mattresses, by the way. They've got great mattresses at Mattress Man. My wife and I, we have a mattress from Mattress Man. Bought it several years ago, probably about uh, probably six years ago now. And um, they've got... The lines like the Biltmore mattress line from Restonic, made in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses at the Biltmore Inn in the hotel. They've also got the um, the new brand of mattresses by Paramount Sleep called Nature's Spa. This is a series of hybrid mattresses, and it is sold through Bloomingdale's usually, but not here. It's at Mattress Man, and um, it is featured at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. Okay. So these are these places care very much about making sure that the mattresses that their guests sleep on are the best mattresses and the you know comfortable mattresses. You do not want to be, you know, running a hotel <laughs> and have mattresses that are terrible. You want good mattresses. So go where these folks go. Go where these companies go. Mattress man. These are the uh, uh, Restonic mattresses. You can only find them at mattress man i mean unless you want to go actually and like just spend every night at one of these places like in tennessee or whatever you want to go to blackberry farm you want to go to billmore and just stay there all every night like you could do that too i guess i would just recommend getting the same bed so that's that was they just find it to be a more cost-effective solution but you know to each his own mattressmanstores.com buy local sleep better the pete calendar show on wwnc The Pete Callender Show. If you're waiting for a hug, you might want to pack a lunch. Rain in West Asheville. So remember, everybody, burn your headlights. 
We can't see you, especially you gray car drivers. We can't see you when you're driving a car that is camouflaged by the weather. Okay. Um, so earlier, I was asking Tank about uh, what he thought. So I, uh, all right. So I said Asheville crime stats. Do you think they went up or down? Tank gave some answers. I think we all mocked him for being wrong. Mistakes were made. Things were said. Whatever. Okay. Um, so let's. Uh, and so it turned out that the. Not turned out. I, the data that I had was a ten-year statewide trend line. I have the trend line for Asheville, but I only have the two-year trend line here. So this is the last two years for just the city. And I asked you, violent crime, property crime, and you said both of them you thought went up. Yes. All right. Violent crime did go up in Asheville. 536 violent crimes per 100,000 people. So were there 500? This is for 2016, 536. And then last year, or sorry, uh, 2017, so two years ago. That's the last year, 2017. Um, 601. So it goes from 536 to 601. Does that mean there are actually 601 violent crimes? No, because we don't have 100,000 people. We have 90,000 people. So it's so it would probably be, what, 601 minus 10%. So you're probably somewhere around 540, 550, somewhere in that range. Okay. Violent crime. But it went up. The trend line went up in violent crime. Property crime went down. Property crime went down only by about... Um, a hundred. So, it's essentially, I mean, statistically, it's pretty close to just being flat, but it did go down a little bit mm. last year. Property crime, but violent crime went up. Um, we had nine murders in 2016, eight murders in 2017. Rapes went 48 to 50, so more rapes in 20, uh, so there was an uptick by two. More robberies more aggravated assaults, there were fewer burglaries, fewer larcenies, and a lot more motor vehicle thefts from 259 to 322, so a lot more stolen cars for some reason. Don't know why. Um, and the number of arson remained flat at seven. Seven arson. You know, part of me thinks that the reason why the property crime numbers have leveled off is SCW. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I start talking about SCW security cameras and stuff. I start talking about how great they are. I start talking about the crystal clear imagery. I start talking about how uh, you can, like, you can identify people with the video that SCW has and that uh, is now, uh, you know, in tens of thousands of businesses and homes and churches all around the world like i gotta say i like i just start talking about this stuff and then the property crime numbers go down i'm just coincidence probably but maybe not you never know you never know okay also uh scw they've got more than just cameras go to their website get scw.com get scw.com they offer more than just cameras they've got a whole new line of products they've got alarms and such that that are uh that you can automate into 
uh, a centralized hub, and you can control it all with an app. And that's how easy it is. By the way, SCW does installations anywhere within two hours of Asheville. So they have a two-hour radius. That's a, that's a really large area that they will do installations for you in. $25 monthly uh, smart monitoring. They have four codes, fire code, medic code, police. So when the call goes to, when the signal gets tripped and then the, the call center alerts 911, they know who to dispatch. They know who to send based on the kind of alarm that has been tripped. Um, they also have a maintenance alarm, and that just goes to you rather than going to the call center, uh, or rather than going to 911, rather. Um, also, I feel like I need to point this out. Amazon and Google, people are like, oh, look at how cheap this is, Amazon and Google. It's like apparently they, like you can put their cameras into your house and it's like free or something, or it's like really cheap. Yeah, if it's free, you're the product, folks. They're listening and watching you. You're the product, okay? <laughs> your habits, what you say, how you behave, your speech, all of that stuff. SCW doesn't do that, okay? SCW is not trying to collect what you're saying so they can use it to market to you. That's not how they do business. Also, what's the point of having the camera, like, inside the house at that point? Like, they're already in the house. Like, Alexa, you know, I don't want to say that because I don't want to start sending distress calls and stuff. But, like, <laughs> you're going to tell this device to call authorities or something, this voice activation or something. And it's like, they're already in your house. But the whole point is to stop them from getting in. Okay, getscw.com. Get scw.com, the right choice for your security system. Some of the other stats. Buncombe County has a much, much lower crime rate, crime index, than Asheville. Isn't that interesting? Did you, do you find that interesting, that Asheville has a much higher crime rate than Buncombe County? How is that possible? Asheville's in Buncombe County, I hear you cry. Indeed, but there are other people living in Buncombe County. <laughs> so you have, <laughs> so you have. This is again per one hundred thousand. So the the uh, the rate for the index for Buncombe County <clears throat> went down from nineteen seventy seven. Okay, that's a number, not the year. One thousand nine hundred seventy seven, and dropped uh, almost uh, yeah almost two hundred points to seventeen nineteen. Total crime index, 150 violent crimes uh, per 100,000 people and about 1,500 property crimes per 100,000 people. And uh, each of those numbers are all about a quarter of the rate in Asheville. Um, do, 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 do. This is crimes, uh, crime rates. Uh, per uh, 100,000 uh, people, violent crime rate, property crime rates. Here's one. Uh, you've got... Mm, well, wait a minute now. I'm looking at the UCR here, and they're saying 17. This is municipal police and county sheriffs. But then I go over here to the crime rates per 100,000 by county. This is going to... Okay, this is going to include all cities. Um so you've got 
Henderson County in uh, 2017. Henderson County, their index crime rate, 1,662. Their violent crime rate is 145 per 100,000, and the property crime is 1,500. Haywood County is about twice that. Is that surprising to you? Haywood County has a higher crime index, uh, uh, sorry, higher index crime rate. This is a different stat. The index crime rate, they're saying. Um, the numbers I gave you earlier were the total index. Crime rate, uh, Haywood County is higher than Buncombe County. <laughs> I think there are a lot of gangs living in government projects, right? Isn't that what we were talking about yesterday, right? All the gangs in Haywood County? Is that, is that what's going on in Haywood? I don't I mean, honestly, I don't know a lot of Haywood. I mean, I've spent, I've spent a little bit of time in Haywood County, but not a lot. But maybe I just wasn't in the gang areas. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. You don't think there were but- gang areas? I mean, I guess it could be possible. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, yeah, Haywood County. So the, this is the crime rate, 3150, Haywood County, 3150. Crime rates per 100,000, 3,150 compared to Buncombe's index crime rate. This includes the total number of violent crimes, um, Murder, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault, and property crimes. Haywood is thirty-one fifty, and Buncombe is twenty-seven twenty-five. Violent crime rate: Haywood County three hundred two, Buncombe County three hundred one. So it's a tie. I'd say that's pretty close to a tie. Property crime: Haywood County twenty-eight forty-eight, Buncombe twenty-four twenty-four. So 400 points lower in Buncombe County. Is that surprising to you? That Haywood County would have higher crime rates than Buncombe County? Property crime rates? Both. Well, I mean, the violent crime. The violent crime. It's pretty close. Yeah, it's close, which I think is surprising. Normally, you would, I would think a more populated area would have more violent crime. Only because you got more people. Right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a, you know, a more rural county. Mm-hmm. Property crime, maybe not. I don't know. Part of me also thinks, though, that there's so much, so much property crime and like property damage and uh, like does like trespassing and stuff count as property crime? No. No. Okay. No. I was gonna say like burglary, larceny. Do you want the definitions? <laughs> I mean, I can give you the definition. So property crime includes offenses of burglary, larceny, and motor vehicle theft. Burglary. The unlawful entry of a structure to commit a felony or theft includes attempted forcible entry. Larceny is the unlawful taking, carrying, leading, or riding away. (laughs) Riding away of property. Like a horse. (laughs) Or, yeah. Eh? Yeah. See, I would, I would think that definition would fit definitely more in Haywood County than it would here. <laughs> the unlawful taking, carrying, leading, or riding away of property from the possession or constructive possession of another. And then motor vehicle theft is uh, the theft or attempted theft of a motor vehicle. 
uh, any willful, and then arson. So that's the property crime. Hmm. I guess it is surprising. <laughs> so those are the crime stats. Trend lines are down over the la- over several decades. That doesn't mean that they don't go back up, and we have been seeing an uptick in the last two years, three years or so, depending on what cities and areas you're looking at. Um, but generally across the board in North Carolina, all crimes are down. And generally in North Carolina, uh, they, as, they are down from where they were 10 years ago, where they were 20 years ago, where they were 30 years ago. Okay, Violent crime, property crimes, they have all gone down. So this idea, so why do I bring all of this up? Why am I saying all of this? Why am I going through this data? Because data, numbers like this on the radio, terrible to do. Nobody would ever advise that you read that many numbers on the radio, particularly as poorly as I did it, okay? So nobody would recommend you do that. Why, do I, why did I do that? Knowing that this was going to be radio death, why did I do it? Because yesterday we read from an op-ed, well, we mean it's the king's we, I read from an op-ed by City Councilman Keith Young. And what did he argue? He said that poverty creates violence, right? That the violence is a symptom of poverty. How can that possibly be the case? How can that possibly be the case when poverty has actually gone down and crime has gone down? If you're thinking that you've got an increase in poverty in the Asheville area and that that's why crime rates are up over the last three years and you say, oh, it's because poverty, how is that possible then? Now, I've said, now there is a link. Obviously, there are some people who are going to commit property crimes. But the idea that you're going to get into a gang because of poverty, no, crime causes poverty. When you have a culture... And I would submit in Asheville, writ large, by the way, I'm not saying one particular community or another. I'm saying there is a culture in Asheville of criminality. It is celebrated. It's also sort of, an, you know, across America, the, the notion of, I mean, look at the Sopranos. Tell me that's not a celebration of criminality. Bonnie and Clyde and... Um, what was the other? Oh, the wire we were talking about yesterday. The, the and Chris Rock talked about this in his stand-up from 15 years ago. I know I quote Chris Rock, but I think the guy is brilliant. And and he talks about this as well. What we value in our society, and I would submit that in Asheville, there is a value placed on crime. Whether it's this, whether it's the the vandalizing buildings with spray paint and such whether it's you know people getting completely rip roaring drunk and stumbling around in the streets look i'm not saying i've never done that i've never i've never spray painted anything i've never gone for the graffiti stuff that was never my jam but like yes i have done those things i have gotten way 
too drunk. I, absolutely. I've stumbled around the street in public and should have gotten a public drunkenness. Absolutely. But there was, I never looked upon, I never even thought about demanding that the local authorities spare me because it shouldn't be illegal. You know, I've told this story before when I was in my younger days and I was complaining about how, you know, the cops were always hassling me because I had the Grateful Dead stickers all over my car and I had the long hair and I had the big beard and, you know, cops would pull me over and they'd search the car and I was, oh, they're always hassling me. And my roommate said at the time, well, like, generally speaking, like, you do have weed on you, right? It's, here I am complaining, like, man, they're hassling me, and, you know, they're, they're searching me, trying to find drugs and all this. Well, yeah, because I had them on me, like, usually, right? I mean, like, that was, I did. I would have weed on me. Well, I was, actually, I didn't travel with a lot of weed. But uh, generally speaking, I was, <laughs> generally speaking, I was, I was probably on pot for a very long time in the college years in, in that time frame. So, yeah, like. I'm mad that I'm getting caught. This shouldn't be legal. Okay, well, you know what? I stopped smoking weed, and I've been a proponent of decriminalization and carrying that banner for 20 years, saying that we should decriminalize and it shouldn't be legal. And here's the thing. Because I don't smoke the weed anymore, it's like I have credibility to say this because it's, I'm not going to personally benefit from it any longer. Now, well, I shouldn't say that because if it is decriminalized, I'm totally going to start blazing again. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah. You know. <laughs> just It's too risky. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. way too risky. I don't want to risk. You got a lot to lose. I got a lot to lose. When I was younger, I didn't. I didn't care, which, by the way, that's another element that drives crime rates. Young men that feel like they have nothing to lose, and they don't care. They, it, the brain hasn't fully formed yet. And if you're on weed, it takes a lot longer for it to form, I believe. I mean, it's just, just given my crew I ran with. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. Love you too, Jennifer. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Victor says, Pete, Haywood County is close to the is close to Tennessee. East Tennessee has a very big meth problem. Okay. I'm- I would submit much of Western North Carolina has a meth problem as well, but it's all the gangs. I don't think we're Right. I don't think we should other Tennessee. I think I think Western North Carolina <laughs> has its problems as well. Yeah. Uh, right. It's, like, is, is it is Hillcrest? They're the ones slinging all the meth. Is that the deal? <laughs> the reach has gotten really far. The Hillcrest gangs are slinging the meth. Maybe they are. I don't know. Um, here's the other thing too. And by the way, this is prompted by the story that was. Okay, so all of this started last month when the, city, the new city manager, Deborah Campbell, as part of her manager's report to the city council, she brought in a deputy chief from APD who talked about um, the 
homicide rate, I believe, and gun crimes. It was gun crimes. And um, Asheville police say 1,100 gang members in and around the city and that the number of gangs has increased. Gun violence is up 55% since 2016, and gangs are a cause of that increase. And what we then get treated to, because the numbers are the numbers, folks. This is Remember how I started the program? I said at, at the news conference down in Charlotte when their UCR numbers came out from the FBI, and they're like, well, there's more nuance than the FBI. They put these numbers out. We shouldn't compare, and blah, blah, blah. This is the same kind of garbage that you get. We got from the city uh, council now. It's it's this. Well, you're not looking at all of the factors. And then we get the Cassandra Wells and David Nash. They penned an op-ed to the Citizen Times as well. Let's change the destructive narrative on gangs. No, let's not. Actually, gangs are not anything to be celebrated. Gangs are not anything to be revered or spoken in a positive way ever at all, okay? It is a criminal enterprise. And if you're going to keep giving a pass because you're excusing the bad behavior because of guilt or uh, because, like, well, we, we feel like... There, we feel bad for you know uh, the, the the circumstances and these people write about in their um, in their op-ed about you know federal policy of redlining and the war on drugs and uh, slavery and all of this stuff and it's like that does not excuse the the criminal enterprise that people created and victimize the very people that you're trying to protect that live in those same communities they're the ones that get victimized the most. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. This is the Pete Callender Show on News Radio 570 WWNC. Joe Bruno from WSOC TV in Charlotte with breaking news. McCray Dallas has been indicted on charges of felony obstruction of justice, two counts, perjury, solicitation to commit perjury, conspiracy to obstruct justice, and possession of absentee ballots. Is that it? Where's the fraud part? Where was the election stealing part? Is that not? What am I missing? He's also uh, also facing charges. Lisa Britt, Ginger Eason, Woody Hester, James Singletary, Tanya Long, Jessica Dallas, and Kelly Hendricks. The investigation's ongoing. That's all the information I have uh, right now. That just came down, though. But what, wasn't he, wasn't the whole point that that he had, like, filled out absentee ballots and stuff for all these people? Would right, that, he thinks sort of like forgery charge or something like that. Right. Vote fraud, election tampering. Is, or are you just saying all you can get him on is the saying that you witnessed the absentee ballot when you did not witness the absentee ballot? That's all you can get these people on. 
the per, that perjury. I mean, look, you're going after Al Capone, you know, you get what you can get, you know, get him on the IRS tax evasion stuff. I'm not, I'm not arguing against the strategy. I just, I thought, I thought the evidence was clear that he had, <laughs> that he had stolen the election for Mark Harris, right? It's all about what you can prove. I guess. So, the, uh, oh, I got this sent to me as well. National Youth Gang Survey Analysis. So a couple of stats here on, this is national data on gangs. More than three out of five gang members are adults. Makes sense. Smaller cities and rural counties whose gang problems are relatively more recent are more likely to report equal proportions of juvenile and adult gang members, though. Hmm. So in the rural areas, gang members tend to be under the age of 18 and over the age of 18 in roughly equal numbers, which is not the norm in urban areas. In cities and stuff, you'll see more older gang members. Um, female gang members, this was interesting, nearly half of the gangs outside of the larger cities are, half of the gangs outside of larger cities are reported to have female gang members compared with only about one in four in the larger cities. So twice as, as much, a rate twice as high. So, so if you're a if you're a female looking to get into the gang banging business, um, you probably need to go to the rural areas. Isn't that interesting? More women in the gangs in the rural areas than the urban areas. Equality, right there. You know. Um, there's a lot of missing data, though, so they caution drawing any kind of large conclusions off of this because, obviously, you're not getting a lot of info from <laughs> this is from gang members that are uh, willing to you know, tell the National Gang Center <laughs> a lot of stuff here. Uh, law enforcement agencies report a greater percentage of Hispanic and Latino and African-American gang members compared with other race and ethnicities. The most recent figures provided by law enforcement are 46% Hispanic, 35% African-American, more than 11% white, and then 7% other. So apparently the biggest, uh, the biggest group by race is Hispanic. Most gang members, 46%, they have the plurality, 46% Hispanic, 35% black, 11% white. And so when you know, yesterday when Roy called in and he talked about how you know, he watches WLOS and he just doesn't see a lot of the you know, gang activity and whites are just not involved in that kind of gang activity, there is truth to that. Okay, This is the thing, like this... When you're talking about crime, there are a lot of nuances and there are a lot of factors involved. And, you know, there's geography, there's uh, you know, historical uh, factors. You've got just a lot of stuff goes into this. And so when Roy says he sees that, you know, whites just don't belong to gangs as much as 
blacks and Hispanics do, he's correct. Because if you add the numbers together, uh, together 46 and 35, it gets you, what, 81%. So 8 out of 10 gang members in America are not white, right? That's a lot. <laughs> That's a big, big proportion. If 8 out of 10 militia people were white, I think people... Okay, that's... Uh, <laughs> right? Because, by the way, this is the other, you know, this is the other side of that, is that you will have people like, well, see, you know, white people, these white right-wingers, these guys commit all of these crimes, too. And there is a point to that as well. There are white people who commit a lot of crimes of a different kind of nature. They belong to different kinds of groups. That is true. Most of the time, however... By, by the data, you are more likely to be victimized by somebody you know than somebody you do not. And you are way more likely to be victimized within your own racial group than by someone from another racial group. However, all of that, and th that is across the board. Black on black, white on white, Hispanic on Hispanic. Like, that's just, that's the norm. And when you start looking outside of the norm, you are more likely in America... By the numbers, and I'm sorry, like, you've got black-on-white more than white-on-black crimes. And there are many different reasons for that. But you can't deny that these things exist, that these trends exist, the data exists, if you're going to try and fix whatever it is that is broken. And by the way, this gets this is the same issue with, like, the... Uh, the distrust of police. I don't have any answers for for people who are like, well, what what to do about you know after the uh, you know with all the protests and everything, the riots down in Charlotte and the sit-in in Asheville and the protest marches and the you know Johnny Rush beating and everything else. Like, you want to build trust with law enforcement, then how do you do that if you are a minority community? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. And even if I did know. I don't think anybody would listen to me, not because of who I am or anything, but because of the color of my skin. Seriously, I think that the answers have to come from the groups that have the distrust. Otherwise, there's going to be no buy-in. Otherwise, it's just going to be treated as somebody telling them what they have to do, which is one of the fascinating developments in watching the whole Bol uh, the Donald Trump and Baltimore thing unfold. I heard Limbaugh today, and I don't really buy his entire argument but there was a kernel of it a nugget that i thought was pretty interesting could you imagine people lifting up and taking civic pride in their city of baltimore in a way that they were not doing and they're not doing currently but to do it now to spite trump to show him could that be the thing that activates the civic pride? I don't know. Because I don't know how you get there. By the way, like the only recommendation I had for, uh, like when we were talking about the uh, Black Lives Matter and the protests in the wake of the Ferguson riots and stuff, the only thing, the only solution I could ever think of was have more black police officers. But I can't do anything about that. <laughs> what am I going to... I'm not black. I don't have any children who are black, so I can't make any of them cops. Like I don't know how well, I I can't do that. That's got to be something that other people do 
But like, and I don't even know if that would work, by the way. I don't know if it would. But it seems to me like if you think white people cannot police black neighborhoods, then it seems to me like you need to have then black people becoming cops and policing the neighborhoods so there will be that trust. Now, if you're going to tell me that you don't trust the black cops either, well, now it's starting to sound like you just don't want any kind of law enforcement at all, in which case then the criminal enterprises will be more than happy with that arrangement because they then get to operate freely. Those are your choices. Seriously. Like, these are the choices you have. It's a balancing act, no doubt about it, but these are the choices. Do you want cops to, to not be rolling around, you know, not be walking the beat or driving the beat or whatever? Do you, do you not want to see their presence? And by the way, this, this dynamic changes because when I was younger, when I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I didn't want cops around. <laughs> because I enjoyed, right, I enjoyed the lack of oversight, shall we say. Okay, so like just because I got older doesn't mean I got stupid. I mean, that happened way before I got older. That's <laughs> I am aware of why people don't want cops around. That's why when I see a city councilman like drawing the line in the sand about don't search the backpacks in downtown Asheville, I know what that's about. That's about you wanting to transport your bong. Come on, man. Man, I made this new bong, and I totally want to bring it over, but man, I don't have my license anymore because I got busted, so I'm just going to have to walk on over. But how am I going to transport this bong, man? It's so big. I don't know, man. Put it in your guitar case, man. Oh, that's a great idea. Come on. We all know why you don't want to go through people's backpacks at a, at a concert outside on the streets or walking around. We all know why. Where you put your weed, man. <laughs> uh, prevalence of white gang membership are lowest in larger areas and are significantly higher in smaller areas. Isn't that interesting? In larger cities, White gang membership is about 9.7% of the total membership. Whites make up just under 10%. And in rural counties, whites make up 15% of gang membership. So there are, in fact, more, <laughs> more white gang members in the rural areas than you will find as a proportion, as a ratio, uh, in the cities. You're, so you're more likely to run into, as a percentage, you're more likely to run into white gang members in rural and small cities. In the suburbs, it's the lowest, 9.1% of whites. And in the larger cities, it's 97 Smaller cities, 146 And rural counties, 149 Rural counties. Um... So when City Councilman Keith Young takes to the newspaper and complains about how the Citizen Times, what he says, published a flurry of articles. I think there were two. Okay? I think there were two. 
centered around information gathered from a city council meeting and APD officials. Based on these findings, it was reported that gun violence was up 55% and gangs was stated as being a significant cause for the surge in violence, albeit not the only cause. Also, select areas of the city were spotlighted as having significant gang activity, despite having a more comprehensive list of all gangs and locations. This set the stage to form a narrative that was not complete, nor did it provide adequate context behind the numbers. You see, this is what this is exactly what those folks down in Charlotte said when they got onto the list of most dangerous cities. You don't have all the context. Look, the context is pretty straightforward here, okay? The Citizen Times found out because of the police department's report to the city council, which is their job to inform the city council about the state of crime in the city. And they said gun violence is up 55%, and that's largely attributable to gang activity. And oh, by the way, when asked, yes, gang, the number of gang members has increased. There are now about 1,100 by our count, 1,100 gang members in and around Asheville. Oh, and by the way, here is where the gang activity predominantly occurs. And Keith Young is mad because it predominantly occurs in areas of the city that are predominantly black. He's mad about that. When in fact, that's honestly like by the stats, like that makes sense. What did I just go over about the crime stats and gang membership, right? Hispanic, African-American, and then white. Whites only make up like 11%. It would be it would be pretty amazing to find out, don't you think? It'd be pretty amazing if like gang activity was running rampant in like a, a an area of town that I don't even know what's an area of town that's like really really white. I mean, yes, besides like WWNC. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so really like what like by the stats, yes, that is precisely. And that's what by the way when they were talking about the policing uh, protocols and and the the rules of engagement and stuff for law enforcement. Uh, what two or three years ago, whenever they were going through that, um, when they were going through that, remember they talked about calls for service and they talked about police reports and stuff and the crime mapping and such. And these same city council members got upset because the data showed this is where the criminal activity is occurring. And so what you're saying is, and he literally says it that. The best solution with respect to issues of gun violence is not more police. So that's off the table for Young and his colleagues, the shy fecta, as we call them. That's off the table. They do not want more cops. Well, then what's the proposal? Sorry, I read the whole thing twice, his entire op-ed. He, he does not have any specifics here for us. But I'm very interested to hear if he comes up with a proposal to address the crime, what would that look like? Maybe we'll have to wait till after he graduates from Harvard with his certificate. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. I look forward to your next syllable with great eagerness. Alrighty, speaking of law enforcement, 
uh, if you are a law enforcement officer, if you're also a firefighter, if you're in the military, retired or active, if you are in the health care industry or a teacher, you can keep more of your own money if you're buying or selling a house by calling Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. She and her team, they are the official Homes for Heroes realtors in Asheville. Homes for Heroes is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions up to three grand on a $400,000 house. All right? And uh, so if you're in any of those five professions, you can keep more of your own money. And Rowena and her team have given back uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter of, uh, sorry, three quarters of a million dollars through this program. And that's all local. Um, she's on a mission to give back a million, okay? So buying or selling, call the only agent that I would call, Rowena Patton, 333-4483. That's 333-4483. Mountainhomehunt.com is the website. Mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. Jim, welcome to the program. Hello, Jim. How are you? Oh, good evening, Doc, Mr. Doctor Calendar. Uh, take my uh, call. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I said, yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, okay. Hey, you know, you measure the economy by uh, uh, the price of marijuana. You know, back in '83, I had to work a day and a half to get a sack of marijuana, and today, you you can work three, four hours and get you a decent sack. I've been told. Well, I guess that would uh, I guess that would all depend on what you consider to be a decent size bag of pot. So, quick story. Let me tell you a quick story. Go ahead. Went down to a York County Sheriff's press conference. This was back around ninety eight, ninety nine time frame. Going down there, and uh, they had made a bust along the side of the interstate. Uh, some van had all this weed in it, and they pull out pull it out, whatever. And they said. Uh, uh, number of ounces or whatever, and the reporter for the York Observer asks the sheriff, "How big is an ounce of marijuana? Is that like a joint or something?" <laughs> and the sheriff replied, "Bruce Bryant replies, you'd be surprised at the size of the joints they're rolling nowadays." Wow! Not kidding. And for those who don't know, an ounce is probably about like four fingers. So I've been told. I had a friend. He told me all this stuff back in the day. Um, but about four <laughs> fingers <laughs> across <laughs> in a plastic baggie. But as I understand That's it, right. the weed today is way more potent than it used to be. Well, I... All right. I think you've uh, maybe put down the joint next time before you call. Maybe wait till after Jim. All right, I gotta, I gotta go do some news. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. He says that he wants to talk about big picture stuff, and I'll be honest, I have little or no idea what that means. So, probably bad. John wants to know whether we actually screen the calls. I suppose Tank may screen the calls. Not sure. He's not either. Um, but whoever does, kudos for adding some humor with that last phone call. I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> uh, 
No, believe it or not, people tell Tank that they intend to say something. Tank, and whatever judgment he has, says, okay, I think that we can let this on the air. And then I pick up the phone. And usually what happens is the person begins speaking about something that they did not tell Tank. Right, that does happen quite often. Because, like, after the call and we go to a break, I'll turn to Tank and I'll say, is that what the person said they wanted to say? And he's like, no. No. (laughs) Or the explanation to me was much more concise than that. Right, they'll come in, like, which is unfortunate, because, like, usually the first call you're trying to work it through, figure out a way to say it, and then you're on hold, and then you can hopefully think of a better way to frame the thought. And then you come on the air, and then it's like, boom, there it is. But apparently it works in reverse. Right, for some people. For yeah, some it people, does. it's they give the best delivery and the timing and the line and everything. It works best when they tell Tank, and then he's like, okay, I put you on hold. And then I pick it up, and it's, it, yeah, it's not what, it's something else. That's live radio. Um, five o'clock, we're going to have Congressman Patrick McHenry on, and uh, so we'll be talking about a great many things with him. Um, found this the other day also. The, uh, this was actually last month. Answer Man, John Boyle. <laughs> uh, question. This is, the, is a question to the Answer Man. Question. Recently, I was at Pack Square Park, and I noticed there was a large increase in the number of homeless people apparently high, sorry, in the number of homeless, comma, people apparently high, comma, those doing drugs, comma, and possible drug deals as well. I went into one of the bathrooms at the pavilion and saw a needle in the trash can. Well, now, question writer person, um, what's the problem? At least the needle was in the can, you know, because at a lot of these, seriously, like a lot of the needle receptacles all around town that they've put up, you, sometimes they're not always in the can, you know, they're like laying around the cans and then people kind of know where to go to find the needles if they need them. Uh, in the time I was there about an hour, I did not see one officer, even though one police officer, even though their building is right across the street. This is very concerning, as there are children and parents at Splashville that use the facilities at the pavilion. What if one of the children happened to find one of those needles? And I wonder if they always make it into the trash can. They do not. Considering the person is high when they leave. Is City Hall or the Asheville Police Department aware of the situation? And what are they doing? Um, I, I'm pretty sure the police department is aware of the situation. As for what they are doing, uh, according to the police spokesperson, Christina Hollingsey, quote, in addition to routine patrol, officers also conduct extra checks and foot patrol in the park area. So that's what they're doing. City Hall, I'm not sure they're aware. They might be, but I'm not sure. It's hard to say. It really is. It's hard to say what the council is and is not aware of. Because apparently they were not aware of, like, the the gangs being present in 
Asheville and <laughs> they were not aware not aware of a great many things um, Keith Young said in his his op-ed that he wrote the other day all of the previous articles on the matter about gun violence being up uh, received the expected level of attention considering the disturbing content matter i.e. guns, gangs and violence the visual images of two tattooed brown hands is the equivalent of the 1990 U.S. Senate race ad ran by the late Jesse Helms against Harvey Gantt. You know what this reminds me of? <laughs> Have you seen any of the uh, commercials for any of the home security systems? Whatever, take your pick. Yeah. Every one of them. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed who the burglars are? Yep. Have you ever noticed what race the burglars are never? Yep. Yeah. Because you can't have a burglar be anything other than a white dude. It's the only way. And look, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying it's the way to avoid criticism. It's the way to avoid getting Keith Young right here. Because that's what's happening. Keith Young, he's pulling this garbage. He's ta- he's he's basically shooting the messenger, right? He's going after Joel Burgess and leave it to Keith Young to make me defend Joel Burgess at the Citizen Times, right? So for that, for that alone, <laughs> so he's going after the Citizen Times and this reporter for using a picture of of hands with gang tattoos uh brown ha- i didn't even know i print these things out i always take the images off because that's just wasteful on the ink you know i'm not going to print all of the pictures and stuff unless it's particularly relevant to a story i don't even remember the graphic i don't even remember the gra- the, the the image that they used of some gang hands or whatever where do they get the photo where do they get that photo was that a stock image photo was it something that they purchased from like a a national database but by the way if 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 somewhere north of 81 82% of gang members are non-whites is it more accurate to show a picture of a white person or a non-white person serious question for the councilman who's very upset about the image of some hands which by the way i didn't see the image but like how dark are we talking? Was it obviously hands of an African-American male? Could it have been a Hispanic? Could it have been a tanned white person? Could it have been like the guy at the Publix who was like, I'm not white, I'm Cuban. I am light, but I am not white. What was his name? Eric Sparks at the Georgia Publix checkout lane getting in the argument with uh, Erica Thomas, which that story seemed to go away pretty quickly. Notice that? What's more accurate? For a person in the news business, what's more accurate? By the way, this is why um, there has been, a, a, if you probably have noticed, they don't give descriptions any longer of, uh, of any kind of racially identifiable descriptions of suspects. Media stopped doing that. And I remember when this started. It was about 15 years ago. When I was a reporter, they started with this push. I remember I, I was a panelist down in Charlotte after, uh, uh, so, uh, I don't even remember what it was. Something had happened. There was this 
altercation. I don't remember the details, but they, I was asked to come speak at a panel with other media people, and it was, uh, it was called What's in the Water? And it was about race relations and the media's role and all of this. And people were talking about, and the publisher of the Charlotte Observer was there and you know, people from TV stations and stuff. And there's this desire to believe that there's some grand conspiracy going on, that like, oh, the media is trying to, you know, whenever they give out these descriptions, it's always a black male. Well, the, the media, I mean, now, I've never heard the media give a description of a person who's already arrested. Usually the descriptions are given out when you're looking for somebody because you are looking for somebody. But now we're in this ridiculous position of having to give descriptions of people that are on the loose. Who was the pe- they were looking for somebody? It seems like they're always looking for somebody around here. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's so weird around here. Like people get away all the time. Have you noticed that? There's people like running around all the time like be on the lookout, don't you know, shelter in place. This whole neighborhood's on lockdown while they're looking for somebody in the woods. Like, I guess that's why. There's a lot of woods. People right. Just you get a lot of place to hide. A lot of places to hide. I mean, hello, <laughs> Eric Rudolph. That's right. Yeah. So now you're giving a description of Eric Robert Rudolph. But don't mention that he's a white dude. Well, so what? I'm supposed to just look at every male between the, or every male between the ages of, before they knew an actual description, or knew his name, right? Before they knew his name... They had this description of the guy. Were we not supposed to identify him as a white dude? Well, if we're looking for the guy, we should. Oh, somebody just robbed a bank. Be on the lookout for a man, six foot two. Good luck. How not to catch a criminal, 101. Sorry, a suspect. But now we're supposed to believe that, that Joel Burgess... And the Citizen Times. This is the fantasy world that this, pe- that this guy lives in, that Keith Young lives in. This is his fantasy world. That Joel Burgess and the Citizen Times are the equivalent of Jesse Helms. Because they put a picture of, a ha- of two hands with gang tats across the fingers or something. They're part of the right-wing news cabal. It's unbelievable. Like, imagine the the level of delusion you must have to think that the Citizen Times and Joel Burgess are part of the right-wing cabal, are a bunch of right-wingers, Jesse Helms-style race uh, racist. It, I mean, to, to give him... It's absurd. To give him a break, though, I mean, it's not just Keith Young. Yeah. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of people in this city, yeah. in this area, that believe that is true. Well, I mean, to be fair, they are Democrats, and that was the party of the Klan. Okay. Sorry. It's a cheap shot. But I take them. <laughs> well, I mean, it is kind of true. But seriously, like, you're going you're gonna to try to make this argument that the use of a stock photo, I'm assuming it's stock photo. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Citizen Times didn't actually go out and find a gangbanger and get the hand, uh, get the pictures taken. But maybe they did. Maybe, and here's the thing, like, I don't know where the photo came from. I'll, uh, maybe I'll go back and try to find it. If I cared, I would go back and try to find it. Maybe, maybe it was a photo of a guy who got out of the gang life and maybe did an interview with the paper years ago and they had all these photos in their database. Like, that's literally how this stuff happens. You, you're trying to post a story on the web, 
and you're looking for something, let's see, gangs, image search, enter. Oh, look at that. That's a good one. Doesn't show anybody's face, just has some tats. It says, you know, gang life or something. Perfect picture. You don't even see it. You don't even think about it. Not because you're racist, but because it doesn't matter. Because the thing that's, the thing that's important in the photo is the tattoos on the knuckles, on the hands. That's the important thing. But to people like Keith Young, it's all racism. And so he is going to say, oh, you're Jesse Helms. It's the same thing as the, the Jesse Helms ad against Harvey Gantt. And it's not. It most certainly is not. What I can deduce is that when we look at gun violence in the overarching context of poverty level, education, and other social factors, it becomes clear that guns exacerbate other social issues facing individuals and communities. People who see hope for a better future rarely pick up a gun and turn it on others or themselves. There is some truth to that. There's right. There is some truth that if you... Uh, that if you have a, a bleak outlook on your future, you got nothing to lose. Right? All right, so how do we go about instilling that belief in people that you can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to do, this is the land of opportunity? Do you think that that kind of a, of a narrative, that kind of a message, that ki those kinds of lessons, do you think those are helped those are supported by a constant barrage telling these people that you can't get ahead, you can't make anything of yourself because other people are preventing you no matter how hard you try. Do you think your rhetoric when you say stuff like that, which I would submit is not true, do you think that their level of bleakness goes up or down? Do you think they have more hope? Do you think they have more passion to to go chase their dreams when everybody around them tells them that they can never attain their dreams because somebody else is going to block them from getting their dream. Like, don't be the crabs in the bucket. Don't be the crabs in the bucket. The ones, crabs that pull the crab that tries to get out, pulls it back in. And by the way, that's not a racial thing, too. As I mentioned on many occasions, J.D. Vance talks about this very same attitude that exists uh, in Appalachia as well. It's called uh, too big for the britches. You're getting too big for your britches. And and look, I, like I understand, it's a very human kind of a thing. It's it you know you want it's it's blowing out somebody else's candle to make yours appear brighter. You know, that's the idea here. And I would just submit that maybe you should pursue a different course with your rhetoric. As a leader, as a city leader, you should pursue a different course if you're trying to inspire people to chase the dreams and achieve the dreams rather than tell them they can't get the dreams because somebody took a picture of hands and put it in the paper. And you're going to say, it's racism at the paper, and that's what we're fighting. It's really not what you're fighting. You're choosing this fight that literally nobody else is fighting with you. You're not fighting anyone. You're just swinging at shadows. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. All 
I don't know how to put this. The Pete Callender Show. But I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. All righty. Raymond Marks can help you out with your retirement planning. He can. And uh, he'll sit down with you. Hang on. I got to adjust my chair. Ugh. Speaking of sitting down. Okay. Uh, so he'll sit down with you and uh, he'll ask you what you want to do with your retirement. How do you want to spend your time? And it's all part of his complimentary, no obligation retirement review. And maybe you've started putting money away. Maybe you you know took advantage of a 401k or something at your office. Uh, at your workplace some years ago. Maybe like you left that job uh, and you haven't put any more money into it and you get some statements like once a year or something, you don't really pay any attention to it. Um, and maybe you're counting on Social Security to bail you out. Or maybe you think Social Security is not going to be there. Maybe you've been putting money away like I have like ever since I got a 401k, I've been putting money into it because I don't expect Social Security to be there and I don't want to be a burden on my family. I don't, I don't want to be someone else's responsibility. So... Uh, if you're like me and you want to plan for your retirement, call Raymond Marks, all right? 800-715-4755 and schedule your complimentary, no obligation retirement review. Think about everything that has changed in the economy. You got markets changing. Uh, the retirement landscape has changed. You got uh, social security rule changes that took effect. You got interest rate changes, market uncertainties, the, uh, the new tax laws, all of this stuff plays a role it all factors into your retirement plan. How? I don't know. That's why I'm telling you to call Raymond. Okay? 800-715-4755. 800-715-4755. You can also go online to RaymondMarks.com. That's Raymond, M-A-R-X.com. Got a uh, message here from Jeff who says, Pete, I recently hosted a bunch of cops in our area of Tunnel Road. We walked around to various restaurants and places, etc. I told everybody to watch for discarded needles. We walked just a little ways before the first needle was seen, and then another, and then another, and then the group got stopped by a young lady, I'm making an assumption there, who asked if they needed some company. Then she asked if there were just two of them, to which they replied, no, there's a whole group, and she said, well, that's okay, too, to which they again said, no. These cops were all from other counties and states and were amazed at what Asheville has become. Way to represent Asheville. Um, I, yeah, I'm at a loss because there isn't anything that I can tell the city council. I mean, these city council members, I don't even know that they have a full understanding of like the situation. I really don't. I think I think there's this sort of like moonbeam mentality, you know? Just just kind of drifting along. Oh, you know. Oh, I'm a city council member and I'll just kind of manage the budget or something and like I'll make decisions about hotels and now they're going to try to get rid of that whole thing too. We'll get to the moratorium. We have so much I I will get to that moratorium issue. Not today. Probably tomorrow. Maybe today. Maybe 5.30 after the congressman leaves. Um, but he's up next. Congressman Patrick McHenry will join me next. Uh, and we will talk about a great many things. Let's see. What do, what do I have on the... I don't want to divulge. I'm not going to tell him what I'm going to ask him. But we'll talk about Bob Mueller. 
his appearance at, at, at uh, the congressional hearings. We'll talk about the BDS in Israel. We'll talk about uh, some bank stuff because he's on the House Financial Services Committee. So we'll talk about the BB&T SunTrust merger. Um, also, any thoughts on the rat population in Baltimore? Would you call that an infestation or not? No, I'm Congressman McHenry will join us up next. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. This is the Pete Callender Show on News Radio 570 WWNC. So, uh, Congressman Patrick McHenry joins us uh, in the studio, actually, uh, and we appreciate your time, as always, coming through uh, and uh, hanging out with us for a while. How is uh, how's the family doing? They're doing great. Yeah. Very good. Five yeah. and a year and a half, and they're teaching me new things every day. <laughs> That's I great. So I imagine so. And uh, so, what's going on in D.C.? Anything really? Nothing new, probably. No, no. Just, every I think mostly people are getting along. Yeah, so what it because seems we're like. uh, because we're out of session right now, and people are gone. From DC, so ah, okay. yeah, we got out of the session on Thursday. Makes sense. Um, so get to be home doing town hall meetings and all, you know, the normal August deal that I do. I do town hall meetings. Done, done it since I got elected. Um, I do town hall meetings every every August. So so you did one this morning, right? No, I'm doing it tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, yep. Buncombe County, yep. and then yep. you got one in Rutherford. Rutherford, and then we do one in uh, 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 Cleveland County, and then uh, Catawba County. And these are all tomorrow? Uh, no. Uh, Rutherford's two, tonight, right? Yeah, t- 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 tomorrow night, Rutherford, tomorrow morning uh, here in Buncombe County, and then uh, two on Thursday. Oh, okay. All right, so I don't... All right, Sorry, so I was, I'm like, I'm I confused. I was afraid you were just running. two days. No, I know. Yeah. I, well, I am too. I thought for some reason that the, uh, both of them were today, so I was like, I'll make sure I get you out of here on time. So now I, I don't have to. No rush. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. So uh, no, for the sake of your listeners, you you want to just kind of get me out of here. It's like now, nah, let's move along. Well, you know, this is it counts as our public file. This is our public service. <laughs> this is what we put this in. No, so let's uh, let, let's talk first off. We we were uh, just mentioning uh, when we were talking uh, off the air. This whole the debate. I I, I think I referred to it earlier as uh, uh, just the national debate about the rat population in Baltimore. Okay, so like this is where we are. We're going to all pretend that what Trump said uh, was, you know, completely out of line, uh, that Baltimore is this pristine city on a hill and all of this. And we all know Baltimore. I've watched The Wire. I mean, I know Baltimore is not uh, it's not perfect. It's got problems. And he was watching TV and he saw these images and all of that. Is it automatically racist for him to say that Baltimore is problematic uh, and it seems to me like he's just lashing out at your colleague, Representative Cummings, because Representative Cummings attacked him. And this is the way he, as he called, uh, unwounds himself. Right. And everybody puts this list out of, of who what the president has said about different people. The list is long, right? <laughs> it includes a lot of Republicans. <laughs> it does. It includes a lot of Republicans yeah. um, that, that some have good relationships with them. Others have horrible relationships with them. But this president does what every previous president does. They don't like their enemies, right? They don't mm. treat them charitably. And if somebody's going to attack them, they don't like that. 
or if somebody's going to uh, somebody says that they're an ally and is going to be on TV critiquing everything the president does. I don't care if you're Trump, George W. Bush, Barack Obama. The president does not like that. They listen to the they read the media, they listen to the media, and they have opinions, and they don't like it. What's different about Trump? When he doesn't like it, he shares it. He shares it. So you look at the Federal Reserve and the president, they're saying, well, he is trying to manipulate interest rate policy. No, President Trump is doing what Donald Trump does, which is if he has an opinion, he's going to share it. And it might be an arena with 20,000 people. It might be via Twitter, but he's going to share it. And he's going to share it exactly the way he shared it since he got on Twitter, Mm -hmm. which is in a cutting way and and highly polarizing. And people either like it or hate it. And um, but it is what it is. And so rather than opining about the president's uh, Twitter feed, I'm trying to actually do the stuff I got elected to do, <laughs> like work on policy. Mm-hmm. That's my deal. Rather Isn't than being a commentator, this, though? Isn't it easier for people in Congress to just fight on Twitter, basically, oh, yeah. it's, it, it, that, than to actually do policy? Right. So I, you know, you can go spend all your time, you know, get getting makeup and doing doing the TV hits. Um, or get into Twitter wars, or you can actually go seek to go change the law and have a longer-term impact. People operate differently. Right now, the glare of celebrity, just look at Ocasio-Cortez. The squad. And this Do young, you guys call her the squad? Did they call them the squad? I refuse. I will refuse? not. Um, okay. But okay. I, they're, the, they're these young socialists or Marxists or whatever they are. Um, by the way, I, I don't know socialist ideology. I do know Marxist uh, ideology. So... I, you know, they have a, a real drive. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not worried about the celebrity. I'm worried about the production of what we're doing in the U.S. House. That's the fundamental fight that we're trying to shift in America, which is who controls um, uh, really making law in the apparatus of government. It's the great debate. It's the size of government. What does it do? How much should it cost? And all, all this that? other stuff obscures the mm-hmm. reality of it. Mm-hmm. The celebrity obscures the reality of it. And there's real stuff that's going on. So, okay, so there's real stuff going on because I would, like, I almost wonder, does the celebrity obscure the real stuff going on? And is that because there isn't stuff going on? And everyone else, so everyone's just got a lot of time on their hands. Well, well, right now, if you look look at what the last seven months in the U.S. House, the production across the House floor is pitiful um, in terms of producing bills, having votes, um, moving policy. So, from my view, as a Republican looking at a Democrat-controlled House, as a conservative looking at a liberal-controlled House, I'm happy right. about that. The no less they do right. is better, yeah. right? So slow clap for, for Nancy Pelosi. She's, she's duct-taped her caucus together, and she's survived for seven months. And now you got a majority of her Democrats saying they want to, they want to impeach the president. I think that's a bigger deal than the sideline of, of whatever's happening in, in the world of uh, – you know, of Twitter. Well, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. So well, I mean, no, I'm kidding. Look, I'm kidding. I mean, I and, do, and, but it's, a, but I understand. And we're all consumers of this. Too. Right. And I understand you the know. value of it. I also understand the, the, the decay that it helps, uh, in the rot that it helps, uh, foment. Cause it's not, a lot of the stuff is not healthy. I completely, uh, recognize that. And, uh, honestly, if I didn't do this job, I don't know how much 
I would be on Twitter. But you're a translator of that. And when you talk through this stuff, mm-hmm. it is much lighter than just the harshness of 180 or whatever yeah. the character limit is. Um, wow, that's old school. It hadn't been 180 for a while. I know, but I, I think it should be. I should it <laughs> should be kept go, there. You go down to one. I want it to okay. be kept there. <laughs> so, all right, uh, some of the things that have gone on uh, the that uh, is special dating me, counsel, by the way. Right. That is dating me. You're <laughs> exactly dating. right. Right. So the special counsel, uh, 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 sorry, the uh, uh, yeah, the special counsel Robert Mueller came to testify and uh, did two hearings. I didn't think he did very well, but I think he didn't really want to be there. What did you? What was your assessment of his performance, and what was gained out of all of that? Not much was gained. Nothing new, um, but the fact that it didn't flare up in the way that Democrats sought, I don't mm-hmm. think it it moved forward the the powers of impeachment, and uh, in the public, um, among uh, Democrats in the House, they use that to justify to keep going, and that's what Nadler is doing, is using that to justify an impeachment inquiry inquiry, or some words that are equivalent to an impeachment inquiry. Do you expect um, an impeachment process to start before the election, or is this sort of plan B, if Trump wins again, they go impeachment? I'm now? surprised they're, they're not currently in a full-blown impeachment inquiry. Hmm. Why um, is that? Uh, given the nature of where they are. I mean, just given the, in the nature of how far to the left the majority of these Democrats are in the House now compared to what it was like five years ago or ten years ago, much, much, much more to the far, far left. Um, and the debate has shifted. So Pelosi's not in the same place in her caucus, um, meaning she used to be uh, to the left of center of her caucus. Now she's in the center or the right of center of her caucus. Yeah. Still to the left. I mean, I'm not saying she's not a liberal, but the class of liberals that are coming in are very, very far to the left and not in keeping with sort of the normal range of debate we've had. It's sort of the same uh, dynamic with o- President Obama. That Could he actually win in a Democratic primary field like we're seeing right now? Oh, so different. Yeah, it's so different than just eight years ago. It's crazy. And, and, that, and so that shows the difficulty that they have knitting things together. So uh, the, the same week that all this stuff was happening with Mueller, we had uh, an impeachment vote on the House floor. Al Green of Texas files an impeachment vote. Uh, they, they vote to table it. We vote to table it. All the Republicans join in in, in tabling it. Um, and uh, then we have 95 Repol- Democrats vote against it. Um, and so after the Mueller hearing, now we're up to 116 Democrats calling for in- impeaching the president. Because so, it was so compelling. There was not. <laughs> I mean, right. yeah, I, I, I don't. I understood it for what it was supposed to be. It was meant to amplify the, the, the case, basically, to help them get the traction they needed to relaunch the impeachment process because there isn't any criminal charges. And there isn't anything to be done on that track, so it's a political track. That's where they got to go, and they were hoping to breathe life into the issue. Right. So the fundamental finding of uh, the, the the reason that this thing got launched was about Russia and the action of Russia. Mm-hmm. So we already have reports out of the Senate Intel Committee, the House Intel Committee, that say there was no collusion with Russia. However, they are malignant, awful, bad actors that sought to undermine our election and influence our elections. Yes. that. So those two things can both be true. Right. Um, 
And then the Mueller finding was the same. There was no collusion between the campaign and the camp. The campaign's dysfunction uh, seems to, to um, uh, Democrats interpreted as some great deal of conspiracy. When in reality, it was not. Um, we know how how the president, uh, you know, the campaign the campaign team wasn't uh, class A, right? Um, and, and, well, and a still lot of people were won. told not to, right? A lot of people were told, don't, don't work, work for him. You'll never work for another, you know, legitimate, quote unquote, Republican again. And so there was a lot of people that were, you know, kind of pushed away from that. And then, yeah, you're left with, I mean, when Paul Manafort got on board, like people knew that this guy had a background that was that raised eyebrows and people were trying to say, Trump, probably not a good idea to bring this guy on board. And. So no one and really... all the stuff that that got Manafort and the reason why he's facing all these charges predates yeah. Trump, and he was just using Trump to to wash himself out so that he could survive. Mm-hmm. And so all the people that were using Donald Trump as the candidate for their own uh, ends got in deep trouble. So the users got have gotten washed out legally, appropriately so. But even still, the, the Donald Trump went through like a like a bulldozer through 16 republicans with that campaign team right right and hillary clinton who's been you know has you know for the last 35 years working to build up uh, chits you know for her husband and and all this other stuff mm-hmm. crazy yeah i mean so that election was just a, a, an amazing outcome yeah um all right so um one of the things you've been working on the bds yes what is BDS for folks who aren't aware? Our audience is aware, but BDS, what is it? So boycott and divest. That is the fundamental uh, focus of the anti-Semitic left. And this, is, this was used during the uh, Arab uh, uh, oil embargo. Uh, uh, and it was this, uh, this, the goal was to choke off Israel from investment globally. Um, and to use elements of economic warfare to get at the strength of Israel's economy and thereby affect their ability to defend themselves. If you don't have a strong economy, you can't invest in national defense. If you can't invest in national defense, you can't defend yourself. So this is their new global fight, um, and this is the anti-Semitic left globally that have come, come along with this strategy. This is what you're seeing from the likes of uh, uh, Congresswoman Omar um, and her ilk mm-hmm. um, in their world view of how to get uh, get at the the Jewish state of Israel, and so I've got legislation um, that was passed through through the Senate at the beginning of the year, um, and it was uh, Marco Rubio was uh, our our Senate um, lead and um, on this, and we uh, got it passed through the Senate, and I haven't been able to get it passed through the House. And what it does is enable uh, those that are investing to be protected. Right, so they don't have to divest from Israel. They don't have to boycott Israel, um, even if um, you have folks that that are seeking uh, to use their means uh, 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 to 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 force investment funds from doing that. Congressman Patrick McHenry is with us. Uh, with us, we're going to take a quick break. Back with more. He's on the House Financial Services Committee. He's the ranking member. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that committee's working on. Uh, for example, the big uh, BB and T SunTrust merger. Uh, I will put in my plea uh, to try and convince them not to go with that name that they're going with, but we'll see how that goes up next on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC.
The Pete Callender Show. Congressman Patrick McHenry is with us, and uh, we're talking about a, a great many things. Uh, up next here, we're going to talk about BB&T and SunTrust. Uh, this is the first, right, the first big bank merger since the the Great Recession, right? Isn't this the this first is big the, one? This is the, the, the biggest post-crisis. The biggest, yeah. okay. But you know how many bank mergers have happened since uh, the financial crisis? I do, but I won't. Well, About think, 1,800. Yeah, I was surprised okay. to learn that. But you how guys many don't hearings have hearings? we had? about that none why are those banks merging okay well it could be let's let's call it a let's let's uh, tranche it out right so uh number one reason um you have banks that are failing right so mm-hmm. they have some partnership that was number one number two is regulation and post uh post financial crisis roughly for since uh 2011 forward all the mergers or failure, or banks going out of business have been driven by regulation. So you added this massive new regulatory burden because of Dodd-Frank, which means the way you have to survive is to get bigger. And that is implicit in Dodd-Frank. So we have fewer banks now, and you have the biggest banks have more market share than ever before. If you're one of the top five banks, you're bigger and you have larger market share than you did uh, uh, pre-crisis. So Dodd-Frank has driven this consolidation. So we have this hearing about two mid-sized banks, uh, basically in the teens in terms of the biggest banks, merging together to become the sixth largest bank. Um, and, um, and so the, the whole hearing, I like, well, it's, this is driven purely, this merger is driven purely by regulation. Because you can take and combine their compliance departments, and that is a massive, uh, massive cost savings. Yeah. yeah, cost savings that goes right back to their shareholders. So that is the driving force of this. Third element is technology. As consumers, we demand greater technology, and our financial services uh, have lagged behind what we think of as normal consumer tech, right? So you think of our iPhone and the capacity of that iPhone and how we consume everything has been revolutionized. and. And banking is lagged. So what we can do in banks with, with, with our banking is not what we can do with, with other, other elements. Think about uh, when we move money, use Venmo or PayPal mm-hmm. if you, you're paying people back. Those are two non-bank uh, uh, activities. Well, they're both owned by, they're, they're both owned by the same folks. I'm, it's the same company. But mm. Venmo and PayPal you ha- have this massive role. They're not, they're not a bank. Right. Um, well, why aren't banks doing that? Well, they need to innovate. They need to reinvest. They need to make sure that uh, they're keeping pace. And so that's the secondary reason why these two institutions are merging. So Maxine Waters sets out to have this hearing. She's the chair of this committee now. Chair of the Financial Services Committee, and I'm the lead Republican, and has this hearing. I think this is, this is not really worth our time. It's, it is not that important. This is a standard uh, – these are standard uh, Main Street banks, right? If they fail – if they failed on a Friday, on a Monday, they would open up under a different name, and we would not have a financial crisis, period. They are not Wall Street banks. They have no engagement. They don't really have an international presence. These are very normal, standard banks. So for them to merge is not a debilitating thing. It's the law that's driving this that we should be talking about. So Waters sets out to have this hearing, and this is going to be the this big news of the day. Mm-hmm. And then... The Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee changed the date of the Mueller 
hearing. And you can just hear the the left <laughs> deflate. They're like, ah. So Waters comes in, does her opening statement, mm-hmm. leaves the hearing, hands it off uh, to, to the vice chair to take over. She comes back two hours later to ask her questions and leaves. That's what she thought of the hearing. Why? Well, because she's spending the, because the Mueller hearing about the was driving right. the media of the day, right. and so you saw Democrats on the committee not really attend our hearing because they were much more interested in what was happening with Mueller. And uh, okay, fine, I we I understand that, but to have a hearing like this and to say it's that important, um, but the and attendance, yeah. yeah. And I looked at this and said, well, it is not that interesting. I'm going to bail too, right? I mean, it's it's not worth spending. Six hours of my day listening to these executives answer questions that they're not legally allowed to answer uh, because they're in the midst of a merger. Right. So it's, it's, it's one of the absurd things that, is, that has happened in the last month. Well, and they're also not going to be put in a position where they're going to anger the, the, the chair and the, the Democratic Party that is in control of the committee. So they're not going to say, yes, Congressman McHenry is completely correct. It's all about the regulations that you guys slapped on us. They're they, not, can't, yeah. they can't pick that fight, not right now, obviously. Uh, but uh, was it Kelly King did make a comment along those lines that it is a factor that has Dodd-Frank, the regulatory regime in place, has been a factor uh, driving this. But wouldn't say that's the number one or the biggest no. or anything. No, it's and, the number and, of them. and, and, and I, I get it. But in their disclosures, we will see. Uh, that this is a this is number one or number two as a factor, yeah. and and it will be a huge cost driver and a huge benefit to their shareholders to be emerged institutions so they can actually compete. Um, now the funny thing is they are uh, dramatically smaller than the fifth largest bank and dramatically smaller than the fourth largest bank, um, and they are only uh, as a combined institution they will only be about twenty percent the size of the biggest bank in the so country. By- so. Yeah, and so for the numbers, it's going to be based in Charlotte, and uh, their headquarters anticipated to have approximately four hundred forty-two billion dollars in assets. That's and that's you said that's what what percentage is the big bank? That's about uh, that is uh, that is uh, low twenties uh, compared to the biggest bank of the country. Uh, compared to Citibank, so like a trillion in assets. Yeah, that Citibank has. Good lord. Um, so when you talk about this, these two institutions are substantial. They're not going to take down the American economy. But they're not. And, and uh, you know, the, hear- the hearing exposed that, that you basically have two very boring banks. By, by the way, when I say boring That's bank, that is complimentary, right? right? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like when you get a little uh, – you don't – you don't want to be fast and loose and like, right. oh, banking's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting when it's a disaster. So two boring right. banks doing good, boring lending, reinvesting in communities, and doing the George Bailey, you know, we take your, we take your deposit and we put it into, you know, right. your lending. So that's the type of banking that, that, that has really grown America. And the diversity of banks that we have is, is really a great asset to economic growth. It gives you the leverage, but it also gives you the diverse choices. So if you don't like your, your bank, you can go down the street and you can go to a small community bank. You can right. go to credit. You, you get you get a bunch of different choices. Right. In our market, here sitting here in Asheville, you've got between 15 and 20 banks uh, that you can go to. Uh, different banks that have different lending models making different choices. So if you're a small business person, that gives you 
a lot of options, options. so that you have somebody can take a little risk with you so you can grow your business or get a mortgage or get a home loan or a, 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 a car loan or whatever whatever else you seek. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're late for news. Do you got to run? You guys got to run? I'm asking this. Thing. No, he's good. All right. Can you stick around? Sure. All right. More with Congressman McHenry up next. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. Alrighty, it is 73 degrees in West Asheville. This live weather update brought to you by T.P. Howard's Plumbing, handling Western North Carolina's plumbing emergencies for 35 years. Call today, 628-1369. Mark Thibodeau from the Weather Channel is with us. Hello, Mark. How's the weather? Uh, it's uh, doing all right. Some areas a little rougher than others. Some areas having a pretty good day, definitely. Uh, we got this uh, slow-moving front that's kind of dragging its way across the southeast, and I think uh, it's going to be kind of in our neighborhood as we get into Wednesday. Uh, we've had a couple of isolated thunderstorms around, but I think that's going to be uh, kind of the way it goes this evening. Just a pop-up storm here and there, nothing too widespread, nothing close by at the moment. Uh, later on tonight, pretty quiet, lows in the mid-60s. And then a front that's west of us as it moves over the area to morale, thunderstorm chances increase quite a bit. Some of these could have gusty downpours, some lightning perhaps. Pretty classic midsummer gusty storms possible to morale. Nothing Overly severe, but uh, definitely some heavy rain and gusty winds with a few of these. Highs in the low 80s. And then Thursday, again, with that front kind of stalling out, maybe a couple scattered late-day storms, mid-80s. Friday through Sunday, some scattered pop-up afternoon storms. Highs in the low 80s, lows in the low 60s. So no washouts, but getting to that time of year, we're kind of hitting our afternoon thunderstorm maximum here as we end uh, July and head into August here. So keep the umbrella handy each day this week, All right. definitely. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate you. You got it, sir. Thank All you. All right. That is Mark Thibodeau from the Weather Channel. All right. Before we get uh, Congressman McHenry back, let me tell you about Jimmy's Automotive. Uh, if you need a good auto mechanic, Jimmy's Automotive, they'll, they'll service your car, too, Congressman. I promise. Um, they, they, they won't mind. They'll give you a loaner car, too, while your car is getting worked on. And if you're lucky, you'll get the white Hyundai Sonata. That was my car, literally my car. I blew up the engine, and I gave it to them. And I was like, if you can fix it, fix it. And uh, they did, of course, because it's Jimmy's Automotive. So they fixed it. They put a new engine in it. Now it's one of their loaner cars. They've got a dozen of these cars. Uh, and so you could drive one of theirs while yours is getting worked on. It's no Mini Cooper, but it's, uh, it's a loaner car. And uh, Jimmy's is located, thanks for asking, located Weaverville Road a couple of minutes off I-240 in North Asheville. Exit 23 off 1923. Their phone number is 658-3030. Jimmy's Automotive is where customers send our friends uh all right so did you find out anything on north korea were you checking into the north korea situation while we were <laughs> yeah twitter didn't tell me anything. twitter didn't very, tell me anything either quickly. okay uh so we talked about the bds stuff what, what else oh the um uh, and the banks and, and the banks let's talk about debt oh yes is this is the deficit and the debt this is just like, we're all in agreement now. Like, that's just not an issue any longer. <laughs> Nobody cares anymore about the trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. I do, and it still matters, and long-term will matter. But we're in this, this economic moment that is counter to history. Um, How so? Um, so if you're on a trampoline, there's a, there's a moment where you're weightless, that brief moment. Then you eventually come crashing down, Right. But that, for that very moment, we're in an economic moment similar to that, which is we are, we are weightless. 
Money is free. It is the cheapest. More money is the cheapest it's been in human history since there was a, a, an exchange of goods for other, uh, other different goods or some outside store of, of value outside of an exchange of goods. It's never been this cheap. That's not – that is counter to history. Um, so we now have to, in essence, pay for a bank to hold our money. It's almost that ridiculous, right? And, um, and that's what's happening globally. So um, when that comes crashing down, when, when we have normalized economic conditions, um, then I think we'll see reality set in. Interest rates start climbing, and then Congress will be forced to make – uh, on our behalf, uh, as American citizens, forced to make these tough economic decisions about our debt and deficits. Wouldn't it be easier to make those decisions Far now? easier to make them now. Far easier to make them 15 years ago than, than today. Far easier to make them 30 years ago I guess than I should today. say economically easier, yes. but politically harder. It's no. going to be politically easier when the crap hits the fan and people are like, we have no money, we, gotta, we have all this debt. And but the choice has become more destabilizing. Right. Mm. So if, if I said to you in 30 years, you're going to see this change for your Social Security. Very different than saying I'm going to change it tomorrow. One is uh, the, if I if, if we voted to change Social Security tomorrow for those that are receiving benefits, I think it would be have massive consequences, right. societal consequences, unacceptable. So if we're going to touch any of these uh, entitlement programs, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, then we have to do it over a longer period of time. The failure for us to pass health care reform affected Medicaid more than any other program. Over the long term, how we actually deal with health care in our society for those that, that need uh, – that have, that have um, long-term health care issues, um, uh, that, that Obamacare is an essential ingredient for them to currently get access to health insurance, and those that are on Medicaid – have very similar interests. We should deal with this as a program to deal with those that have the most costly disease states in our society. And then the rest of us get better insurance rates as a result of getting the most costly set out of the risk pool, right? So it's all this complicated stuff on healthcare. Healthcare is the driver for Medicare and Medicaid, which is about 60% of our deficit this year mm. is driven out of those two programs. Let's fix health care, and let's do it in a way that is societally acceptable, not Obamacare that people have, uh, don't like and the choices they have to make, but get the essence of what we need, which is to get those very costly um, folks in our society that have very costly conditions, and we can actually take care of them. Right, but there, there's no solution coming to that, to that area, because the sides are so far apart on – how best to address it. You've got one side that wants to have, have more Medicare government intervention and yep. one side that's saying, no, the free market, which is what we do not have right now, and, but that we need to make free market reforms and the other is saying, no, we need to pursue Yeah, for healthcare, regulation. we've got the worst of both yeah. choices. So right. it's sort of free market and it's sort of socialist. Right. Right? I mean, which is, a, and the, the, the bizarre thing is you get the worst attributes of both. Of both, sure. Right? And uh, you have a market failure, and then there is no fix for it. And then you have these massive government subsidies without any, any reliance on outcomes. So you don't have the connection between the, the, the condition, the payment, and the, the fix. 
And if there were that connection where you have the upside benefit for, for the provider is to get a costly, cheaper, faster outcome, then you would have basically what we have with LASIK surgery. Right. Go and get your eyes done, and it's efficient. It's cheaper now than it was 10 years ago. It's cheaper now than it was 20 years ago, and more people are doing it. Yeah. Why? Because it's a non-government subsidized um, uh, uh, part of healthcare. Uh, same thing for uh, people uh, making active choices to, to look differently, right? There's no government <laughs> payment there. I don't know how to describe it. Cosmetic <laughs> yeah, surgery, I guess cosmetic is how I surgery, should say. Yes. <laughs> but cosmetic surgery is cheaper today than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, why? Because you have to pay out of pocket to get those things. And they're, where the innovation is coming, it's bringing down the cost, making it more accessible for people that desire it. Um, where do we not have it? Well, uh, look at look at basically um, all getting the heart surgeries, yeah, yeah, all the specializations and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So we got to fix healthcare. Got to come to some consensus on fixing it. That is the biggest driver of our debt and deficits long term, um, and is and is fixable, but it's highly complex. Um, but that still that still doesn't address the the debt and the deficit stuff because that's I maybe I'm a pessimist. I don't see that getting fixed. I only see that, and and I see, like my prediction would be that when the next recession or depression, whenever that next downturn hits, and government starts bleeding more and more money, it's going to be raise taxes and nationalize healthcare, which is unsustainable. I agree, but it's but the people who make those decisions won't be around when it all when that part collapses. Well, I'm. I'm more optimistic than, than you. Let me just say that. <laughs> well, that's because, not hard. That is because, not a hard spot to be in. <laughs> because the, the first issue is to stop overspending. Mm -hmm. And right now, the choices I get to make in Washington are mitigating disaster, right? So supporting policy that's not great, but the alternative is so much worse that this looks – this is not about a matter of um, – good or bad it is better or it is better or best right mm -hmm. and we're not getting the best policy out of this congress uh, out of nancy pelosi's house and ocasio cortez's house mm -hmm. um so we've got to mitigate the damage right now and and drive for the next election and and so that we can actually do the hard things that need to be done so explain that dynamic is it as it appears to us here in Asheville, reading the you know reading media accounts, is it like this fight going on between just these four new members of Congress and like Nancy Pelosi and everybody else, or is it more fragmented than that? A little more fragmentation than that, but but those are the real drivers because they're the, the ones that get attention. Yeah, and you have to hand it to Ocasio Cortez; she is uh, mastered on the left and the far left uh, how to get media attention and to drive. Her message and she is driving her message mm -hmm. this is not happenstance it's not a mistake uh she is uh quite designing on what she seeks and she is a very far left uh bernie sanders supporter and that's what she's driving for and and she's trying to intimidate her colleagues to come along with her um, and they are intimidated they are truly intimidated because she does have a massive following on social media and uh a lot of these Democrats fear their their Democrat base, um, on, and when she's going to find primary opponents against some of these Democrats that have been around for a long time. Is that uh, the, was it Dem Justice Democrats, right? Yes, 
So is that a real threat to these Democrats? To some of these Democrats at this point, they think so, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, uh, and then Pelosi's at war with them. Well, because she can be. So this is a different thing. So Nancy Pelosi changed the rules of the House. So they're in the Democrats are in the majority. Um, when uh, and so traditionally. Uh, you have to have 218 votes to become Speaker of the House. You have to have a majority of the votes cast on opening day. Um, and then if you want to vacate the chair, meaning push out the Speaker, um, you just have to have enough people so that uh, you don't have 218 votes. So let, let's just say... Just enough to take that 218 to 217 or below. Right. So you can get, when we're in the majority, when Republicans are in the majority, if you have 24 people... You have the power of the speakership in your hand. You this know, is what your colleague Mark Meadows did. Correct. Right. So it gave him power for a period of time. Um, but that's a destabilizing factor long term for the institution of the House and the power of the speaker. It, it is. Um, and so what Pelosi did was change the rules. It said on opening day you have to have 218 votes. If you want to vacate the chair, you can do that. So if right now – you have AOC 20, wants to get some 25 people together. They can do it. And you know what happens? They then have to go back to their Democrat caucus, and they have to have a new nomination. <laughs> right? That yeah. means that she doesn't have to have 25. She has to have 125. <laughs> that is a very different thing. So she has to get a majority of the Democrat caucus to vote against Nancy Pelosi. So Pelosi has had, had the wisdom, right, to empower herself later. Right. And so now she can she can call, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, whatever name she want to call her, without consequence. Interesting. So a different power dynamic there. It, that's only short term, though, uh, because, it, it, you know, Nancy Pelosi's Democrats are a thing of the past. And now the new wave is much, much further to the left. Yeah. Much more conversant Marxist uh, Marxist theory uh, than w- what has been the establishment Democrat uh, cause. Yeah. But don't call it a civil war. That only happens in the Republican Party. Of course not, right? right? There's only a civil war inside the GOP, never in the Democrat Party. Uh, Congressman Patrick McHenry, always good to see you. Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. We appreciate it. Uh, Again, you've got uh, town halls uh, tomorrow, Buncombe County and Rutherford, and then what were the two on? Then I've got uh, got, uh, Cleveland Uh, County and uh, Catawba County the following day. You can go to his uh, website website and get all the details. Uh, good to see you again. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate it. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. When you came in, the air went out. And every shade. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so this is uh, Sherman says, when did Jim Barrel come to WWNC? Is this now the WBT West? WBT West. <laughs> well, Jim retired from the station in Charlotte. Jim was my mentor down there when I was working in the newsroom, and he was the anchor and the news director. And so when he retired and he came up here, and I was like, so... You got any time to spare? Maybe you want to keep, you know, one foot in the biz. We could always use some fill-in work. So yeah, that's how that's how he is here. He is. Uh, it's great to have him here. We're very lucky. Um, great to have Balkan Roofing as part of our program. 
I feel very lucky that these folks at the Balkan family uh, entrusts me to tell you about their business, uh, that they have built multi-generational business. It is. They, you know, their whole family is in the business now, and, and it's, uh, it's not just, you know, Bob and Heather and their daughter and her husband. It's also Bob's brother, and their dad was a roofer, and Heather's brother, Steve. Like, they're all in the business together, and family-owned and operated. They're third-generation roofers. That's a, like that's this is what they know, and uh, they run their business like everybody is in their family. Like I ran into them one night at a uh, restaurant, and like I was part of the family. Like that's the kind of people they are, and uh, when you use them, you're going to uh, have a project manager send you a video. And the video is going to tell you everything you need to know. And you're going to see the project manager. And then when you have the job done, that person will be on the job site all day long. You have any questions, concerns, anything at all, you, uh, you can talk to the project manager. Because they know it's a big deal for you. They do this every day. But for most people, you know, getting a roof is not something you're doing all the time. If it is, then you're getting the wrong roofers. In which case, then you really need this number, which is 1-800-NEW-ROOF-BALKANROOFING.COM. The last roof you will ever buy. From Balkan Roofing. All right? 1-800-NEW-ROOF. And uh, tell them that you heard it here on WWNC. And all this summer, if you get a whole new shingle roof, you will get a uh, free Raytech gutter cover system. So be sure and mention that. 1-800-NEW-ROOF. BalkanRoofing.com. Um, oh, there's the music. So I had... Well, I will tell you, go on over to the Pete page at WWNC.com forward slash Pete. You can see... Uh, all of the show prep material that I had for today. Uh, And feel free to comment. Feel free to send me story ideas. uh, And we'll see you here uh, here tomorrow. Same time. Don't break anything while I'm gone. The Pete Callender Show. We'll see you all again. Sleep tight.